Psalm 109 tonight, if you'll turn there with me, the 109th Psalm. This psalm was written by David, no doubt, during the time that he was fleeing from his son Absalom, many Bible scholars believe, who had seized the kingdom from his father. It is considered by the, to be the last of what we refer to as the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms are peculiar in that they ask God to do specific things to the enemies of God and the enemies of his people. The author is asking God to destroy his enemies in a very definite and swift manner. Many readers have trouble balancing the the language in these imprecatory psalms with the request of this psalm with the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan says that David himself is not cursing in the psalm, but rather what he does is to describe in detail the curses being heaped upon him by his enemies. He's in a very fearful time. His heart is broken more because his son is turned against him than he is of losing the kingdom. It's not likely that David, who loved his beloved son, and in fact, he cries out that he would be willing to die in Absalom's place when he learns of Absalom's own demise. And so we, we know that that's incongruous with David praying that these things would happen to Absalom. And so it does seem that he's, he's recounting the curses that, that his enemies are railing against him. Absalom is wicked and is trying to kill his own father. It's unthinkable, isn't it? But David loves him all the same. Two other men might well have voiced this terrible imprecations found in the psalm, John Phillips writes. One was Shimei, who cursed David as he made his woeful way from Jerusalem with his own bitter memories of Bathsheba and Uriah to haunt him. David allowed Shimei to curse him to his heart's content. After all, what he was saying was true. The other man who might have been the author of these curses was Ahitophel, David's favorite counselor and one-time closest friend. The brains behind the Absalom conspiracy. He joins with Absalom because of the way his granddaughter Bathsheba was treated. And a man who stands out clearly in the Old Testament is one of the great types of Judas Iscariot. This has been called the Judas Psalm as a nickname because the writer has been betrayed and ill-treated by his enemies. This psalm was quoted by Peter after our Lord's ascension to prove that Judas was the personification of what the psalmist prophesied years before. But with that as the background, that is not at all what I want us to discuss tonight because there's just a phrase in the psalm that I think will help us in our own spiritual lives and in the matter of prayer. Let's begin reading there in the first verse of Psalm 109. Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compass me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. What I want us to consider is not the imprecatory request to God that we find in this psalm. If you read the psalm, and I encourage you to do so, it is one of the most unusual of all the psalms and what it's requesting. 
But I want us to, first of all, to consider David's resolve. He says, lying people have come against me. They're absolutely spreading things I cannot recant or change the opinion of. The masses are turning their hearts away from David, the beloved king who had ruled in peace and blessing and prosperity for years and are following after his traitor son. All of the emotions, the, the kingdom being seized from him, David once again being in exile as he was during the time when he was fleeing from Saul, and on top of it all, his own son trying to, to take his life and turning against his father and turning his closest counselors and, and uh, cabinet people, all these people against David is bad enough. David says in the latter part of verse 9, I will give myself unto prayer. If you'll notice in your English translation, the, the italicized words, give myself unto, are not in the original. So what is David literally saying here? I, prayer. This is our stronghold against all enemies. This is our resource in all emergencies. This is God's avenue of provision for all of us, whether we're a king in exile or an ordinary mother or father or worker or pastor or whoever we may be. For every circumstance, all through our pilgrimage journey, this is our resource. I give myself unto prayer. John Gill writes, This was the armor alone made use of against his enemies. When they fought against him and acted the part of the adversary to him, he betook himself to nothing else but prayer to God, who judges righteously. Here David prays for his enemies. No doubt the hardest thing in the world to do is to pray for our enemies. Oh, we can pray that the Lord burn their house down or make them lose their job or all kinds of horrible things, but to pray that God would bless them and to keep them and to turn their curses and lies against us into a manifold blessing upon them, it's the most bitter of things to do. And that's exactly what David does. Peter says this exact thing of our Lord in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For even unto hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, a pattern, that you should follow his steps, follow his example. And what was it? Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. This morning in our staff devotions, we're reading the portion of Scripture in Romans 14 where the Lord says, Avenge not yourselves. Uh, I will repay. I am the Lord. I will repay. And it goes right along with what Peter is writing here. Vengeance, the Bible, in fact, the Lord uses it as a personal possession of His. When we are wronged, we so quickly want to, to do whatever it takes to settle the score, the playing field, and to cause the other person, uh, the other party, to feel the pain that we have been, felt because of their actions or inactions or whatever it is. But the Bible very specifically says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And as assured as he's given other precious promises, he gives the promise, I will repay. David knew this. And this was part of the reason he said, I will give myself unto prayer because I can trust my circumstances to a God who sees all things, 
who keeps minute records and who will in his own time, in his own way, will settle the score and make things right. You see, the problem with us wanting revenge now in our own way is that we never would do it right. We would go too far or do it in such a way that that the person would never learn the lesson, even though we might plan it out perfectly and think it's exactly what they need. God, in his mercy and in his grace and in his righteousness, brings all things to pass. And you know he knows the DNA, the spiritual DNA of every person, and he knows exactly what every single one of us needs and deserves. This was the pattern of our Lord when he was on earth. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, or he was heard because of his reverence, literally. Our Lord was constantly at it fervently praying, sometimes spending all night in prayer. And every time we read that, it, it strikes awe in our heart to think anyone being able to do such a thing. And I know why I bring that up to cause guilt or to measure your spiritual life by it. I just pointed out that our Lord, who was human, who was sleepy just like you get sleepy, had a body just like you have a body, chose to, because of the burden that was before him, in the, the waywardness of his disciples, and all those things that he had in his humanity limited himself to the degree that the vehicle of prayer was what was used to meet his needs on earth, just like it is the vehicle that we have to meet our needs. And what did he do? He prayed. A whole night in prayer, not just once, but often. He would teach the scriptures in the daytime in Jerusalem and surrounding areas, and then he would often go to the Mount of Olives to pray. Luke six twelve, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued there all night in prayer to God. Luke twenty one thirty seven, and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple. Or to hear him. Those olive trees, ancient, hundreds of years old, and, uh, many of them, and they would grow in such a way, the branches would grow downward, and uh, you could hide under those olive trees and not be seen, even though people could be all around. And he had favorite places in that grove where he would go and spend vast amounts of time in prayer. Luke 22, verse 44, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Isn't it amazing? The greater the agony, the more earnestly he prayed. What happened to David may very well happen to us. You cannot live life without these kinds of things happening. And it may not be a son taking our business and trying to kill us. But we will, if we live long enough, we'll know what it is like to have a broken heart. To have a friendship fail. Or a relationship to sour. Or people to turn against us. Are things to be said that are not true. It is impossible to live life with a Teflon outer edge that these kinds of things never touch us. No matter how spiritual you are, how close to the Lord you may be, there will be seasons in your life, uh, 
akin to what David is experiencing in here. And aren't you glad the Holy Spirit records this for us so that, that we will not feel like we're the only one who's gone through these things. These things are written, everything that was written aforetime was written for our learning that we may have hope and confidence and patience in the Scriptures. His enemies are lying against him, trying to destroy his reputation. But when you read the Psalms, you will not find David, this Psalm, you will not find David defending himself, which is the, the thing that we want to do. When this kind of thing comes up, we want to set the record straight. Give me a microphone, give me a soapbox, and let me set this thing right. But as Spurgeon notes, he moved the case to a higher court and pleaded before the great king himself. Prayer is the safest method of replying to the words of hatred. Notice the personal privilege here in this resolve that David has. I, I give myself to prayer. This is prayer of the secret place. Along with our Lord. Away from the crowds and the pressures and even the enemies. This is the personal privilege of every child of God. I give. It is something I can do. It is my circumstance that I'm going through. And often these things are very lonely times. And David is feeling the loneliness. Uh, he is no longer at court with all the entourage and, and the trappings of royalty and those things at hand. And it is a very personal time. I give something I will do myself. I cannot do everything. I cannot do many things. I cannot change the mind or the attitude of my enemies. I cannot even stop what they're saying or doing, but I can give myself over to prayer about it, about them. I can report to the Lord what they're saying. I can uh, tell Him the damage that has been done. I can, uh, the pain that they're causing, I can pour that out before the throne of grace. Like Jacob who wrestled all night with the Lord in prayer, crying, I will not let thee go till thou bless me. One commentator rightly said, Fervent prayer like a cannon planted at the gates of heaven makes them fly open. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But not only do we see David's resolve and his personal attention to the matter, we see his sacrifice. Notice he says, I give, I will give myself unto prayer. Here's where our prayer often falls short. Here's where we often fail because we do not persevere. We're not willing to sacrifice the giving that it takes to see these things through. I will give. Giving denotes cost. It, it calls to mind sacrifice. Godly Samuel who wrestled his whole ministry with insane Saul, who was king. And Samuel was the only stabilizing factor in Saul's life. And godly Samuel would come to Saul. He, he would straighten him out for a while, put him back into to place, get things into perspective, and then Saul would go off on another jag. But toward the end of his life, Samuel stood before the people of Israel and he said these words that every time I read them, they speak to my heart, especially as a pastor, and that my, my burden and the, the need to, to pray for my people. Godly Samuel declared to his people, Moreover, as for me, 
they were going in all kinds of directions. And it was as if Samuel was saying, I really can't do a whole lot with you, but as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. This is costly. It costs time. It, it is hard work to concentrate and to stay with it and to see it through and to pray accurately and to bring the, the situation before the throne of grace. And David knew this and no doubt learned it from godly Samuel's example. We give ourselves over to all manner of things. When, when we mention that, for example, of spending a night in prayer or, or investing the time to intercede on behalf of other people, it, it, it does take time. But we give ourselves over to all kinds of tedious things. I was reading last night about a man who puts his hobby is putting together 5,000-piece uh, jigsaw puzzles. The more intricate, the, the harder to do, he loves them. And he will spend about an hour every day doing that. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that's tedious, isn't it? <laughs> and it takes time and devotion. And he says he puts them together and uh, uh, frames them. And I don't know. I guess he puts them on the wall. I don't know what he does with them. But that's his thing. Our entertainment takes up a large blocks of time, doesn't it? And yet we willingly give ourselves over to them, even if, if they're worthwhile. Uh, washing and detailing a car, for example. Is there any harder work in the world? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Or putting up together the 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, or, or knitting a sweater, or planting a garden, or, or playing several holes of golf. All that takes time and effort and energy and money. I, I recently uh, took the grandkids, or some of them, uh, to a, a football game, a college football game. And I, I, when I recount that day out of my life, you know, it took uh, the, the, the tickets and then the traveling to the event and then paying for the parking and then still having to walk a great distance after you found a parking place. And then all hours spent before you ever get to the seat before the event begins. And then the several hours of the event and then going back to the car, not to mention the money and expense for refreshments, and then going back to the car in the drive in the, the bumper-to-bumper traffic all the way back home. And I'm just saying, as enjoyable as that was, when my son called me and said, I, do you want to make a memory for the grandkids? I knew I was in for something that, that he wanted me to do that I might not necessarily want to do. But I said, yeah, you know I'm in if it's for that. And, but when, at the end of the day, you think that was a block of time, as enjoyable as it was. We give ourselves over to things, don't we? We sacrifice. We go out of our way. We pack and unpack. Uh, I, I think I was raised in a family. We went camping, uh, not not fancy camping. I'm talking about tent camping. You know, where you'd have to dig the trenches to drain the water just so you could sleep in a dry place. And I, I can remember all the, the the packing up to go and the uh, you know the setting up and the unpacking and packing back up to leave. All of that. And as fun as it was, and there's nothing wrong with it at all, it, it takes time. And I just was recounting the things that we give ourselves over to. We all have these, these things that we like to do or have to do that takes time. Perseverance is implied in this text. I will give myself over to prayer, keeping at it again and again, giving ourselves over to seasons of prayer. You know why? Because the circumstances change. We have this burden today, this person today, but in a month or two or next year, it'll be a whole different set of circumstances. The kids are at this stage of de development, or I, I, we're in this season of life. 
The situation changes, but the method of how we deal with it is the same. I will give myself over to prayer. Musicians devote hours each day to practice. My wife and I dated all through college, and she was a double major, and uh, piano and voice. And if I wanted to see her, I had to go stand outside of a practice room. You know, that's where she was. She spent as much time practicing as I did at work. I used to think, surely that can't be what it takes to get a degree in music. Why would anybody major in it if it takes that, that much time? Well, that's why she can play and I can't, you know. If anybody develops any acumen in something, whether it's music or, or art or, or whatever the, the thing is, uh, artists and athletes and writers all succeed in any field of endeavor. There's time invested. David said, I will give myself over to prayer. Not only do we see David's resolve and his sacrifice, but we see his resource. I, prayer. Though David was in exile under dire circumstances, he still had resources, I'm sure, to some degree at his disposal. He was, after all, a king in exile. That's not like you or me being in exile. He had been king, so he did have some loyal followers. He always had that, that uh, cadre of, of friends and loyal men who, who went with him and hid out in caves with him, and he had them. But they couldn't stop Absalom's uh, rage, and they couldn't stop the lies of the enemies. The, the damage control could only go so far. The crowds are going to believe what they heard, what they chose to believe. And so even a king could not stop that. I'm sure he had, even in exile, having been a king, he had certain provisions that you and I would not have at our disposal. The means of getting his physical needs of food and provision. But these circumstances called for supernatural resources. There's more to life than just a place to live and food to eat. The resources of the soul will take seasons of prayer. The royal treasury or stashed away stores of provision could not stop the lies of the enemy. Didn't matter that he was a former king. So what? The crowds were still following his son. They could not mend these Treasures, these resources could not mend David's broken heart, could they? They could not stop Absalom in his madness. His notoriety, his royal lineage could not change his present circumstances. And though you may be a child of king, exile from home, and your future is a bright one, you have the very promise of the Lord of a place being prepared for you and he will come again for us one day. Still, these circumstances are what they are. What about the meantime? I, prayer. This would take faith and faith is increased at the altar of prayer, taking God at his word and pleading his promises. God has promised to hear our prayers. In fact, he hears every prayer. He's promised to answer prayers. We looked at that last week. I will ask and seek and knock. He that asks shall be given. He that seeks shall find. He that knocks, it will be opened to him. Those are every, he says, everyone that does this will be answered. Of course, in God's time and in his way. But we have that, that precious assurance that God does hear and he will answer. David Resolved to pray. He resolved to, to sacrifice to see the matter through. William Runyon wrote, Lord, I have shut the door 
Speak now thy word, which in the din and throng could not be heard. Hushed my inner heart. Whisper thy will. While I have come apart, while all is still, Lord, I have shut the door, and here I bow. Speak, for my soul a tent turns to thee now. Rebuke what is vain. Counsel my soul. Your holy will reveal. My will control. In this blessed quietness, clamoring cease. Here in your presence dwells infinite peace. Yonder, strife and cry, Lord, I have shut the door. You are within. Lord, I have shut the door. Strengthen my heart. Yonder waits the task I share apart. Only through grace bestowed may I be true. Here while alone with thee, my strength renew. There will come situations, and daily there are situations that we must shut the door. I, prayer, I will give myself unto prayer. May the Lord bless us and help us as we go tonight in these last moments and pray for the needs of our ministry.